For those of us who live at the intersection of healthcare and technology, which includes most of DataPoint's audience, plus my family, electronic medical records are old hat. They become a part of the landscape. But flash back to 2011, the early days of implementing the components of the 2009 High Tech Act, promoting the meaningful use of technology and managing health data, and there are a few names that nearly all of us will know. One of those names is Ligia Ricciardi, who in 2011 became the first director of the Office of Consumer eHealth within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. She's well known in our community in part because of her role in creating and implementing the Blue Button Initiative, the program that enabled patients to access and control the data in their electronic medical records. Data from Blue Button-enabled sites was used to create portable medical histories that facilitate dialogue among healthcare providers, caregivers, and other trusted entities. And if you think that creating a national program giving patients control of their health data met with universal approval among the establishment in 2011, you'd be rather critically mistaken. Hello and welcome to DataPoint, the podcast that's focused on all the ways that data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest this week is none other than the aforementioned Ligia Ricciardi. Join me as we dive into Ligia's unique perspective on the evolution of the empowered patient, from her ONC days nearly 10 years ago to today, where she now serves as the Chief Transformation Officer at Carium, the creator of a software platform created to guide, support, and empower consumers on their healthcare journey. Now, without further ado, meet one of the legends of the healthcare IT world, Ligia Ricciardi. Ligia, thanks so much for being with us on DataPoint today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is a, it is a pleasure to have you here. We met for the first time what seems like a million years ago when you were with the uh, with the ONC uh, at a conference, but uh, a lot of water has gone under the bridge since then, and so I'm really eager to catch up with you here. Excellent. I'm eager to catch up with you as well. So one of the things I like to do on DataPoint is we're going to talk a lot about the work that you've done and especially the work that you're doing, but I want to give listeners a little bit of context in terms of who you are and how you came to be where you are. Could you Give us a little bit of your background, uh, you know, especially focusing in on some of the milestones that really were sort of turning points or pivot points for you in your career. Sure. Um, so I've been at the intersection of health and technology for give or take 20 years or so. And I came at it not actually from healthcare, but from the technology side and a real interest in the impact that technology can have in changing society and changing people's lives. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, you know, over the years been interested in this topic and learned about it from a n- number of different places. One being initially, I, early in my career, I wrote Harvard Business School case studies and looked at big trends in business. And I saw that technology was, of course, among the greatest forces influencing our society. So I just got Mm -hmm. really fascinated and followed it through. And I became intrigued, not just by how can technology help us do some of the things that we already do as a society, maybe better, cheaper, faster, but how can we use technology to fundamentally shift things and ultimately to empower people? which is kind of leads into how I got interested in patient engagement. So I think that technology can really empower people on all sides of healthcare, certainly including providers, but um, 
it particularly empowers individual people to be more aware of and engaged in their health than they ever have before. And um, as I said, I've worked in a number of places, but I think a particularly pivotal point in my career was working at ONC, the Office mm-hmm. of National Coordinator for Health IT. And I, when I joined ONC, I'd already been working on my own on this idea of empowering consumers and patients through digital health as a consultant. But there was a particular moment of time, and it was 2011 when I joined ONC. Mm-hmm. So the Meaningful Use Program was being implemented, which meant tens of billions of dollars going into healthcare to digitize it. And I looked at this program and I thought, this is a really important moment in sort of shaping American healthcare, and particularly when it comes to technology. But it seems to be all about doctors and all about healthcare institutions, sharing data and improving processes. And all that is good, but there's something really missing here, and that's consumers and patients. For the benefit of the listeners who are are not so engaged in healthcare policy, can you give us just the high level background of meaningful use and you know what, what how it came to be and and what people mean when they say that? Absolutely. So until I don't know, I'd say about really the the mid two thousands, um, not too long ago, most of healthcare records were in paper in Manila folders. Um, healthcare still uses a lot of fax machines. Healthcare Mm -hmm. in general, relative to many other um, industries, not the fastest to pick up new technologies. And that's for a variety of reasons, certainly payment incentives being one of them. But um, essentially, Congress decided that we ought to move the country forward into adopting digital records, not only because it would be better and safer to have people's medical information online, say, in case of you know, accidents or uh, natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina, which Mm. ruined a lot of people's health records and had a lot of people stuck in the middle of treatment, not sure where they were or what drugs they were on. Um, But also because it just generally enhances health if you're able to share and exchange data about a patient so that they can have more of a comprehensive view of their health history. Certainly also has benefit for uh, aggregate research and for population health management, understanding what trends are going on. So basically, um, through the High Tech Act, which was actually a part of um, the stimulus package, uh, this this meaningful use program was developed, and its main goal was to digitize healthcare. And it's called meaningful use for short, meaning that it was intended not just to digitize information, but to help those in the the health profession, make meaningful use of it, to do good things with it. That was the ultimate goal. Got it. And so from a physician perspective, it was all about getting those records out of the paper chart and onto a digital platform so that they could be more easily shared. But as you said, that was not, there was not so much patient focus there. So enter your role. Tell us about what that yeah. looked like for you to try and add so- that patient perspective. Sure. The essence of the program was about giving financial incentives to healthcare institutions to move their 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 records really to electronic health records. So to give up paper and to um, make the transition to digital, and again to use it well. Um, and patients weren't really considered as a major part of that equation. 
And it seemed to me that not only was it important as we were thinking about digitizing medical records and traditional clinical data to think about how patients could get more access. And by the way, patients did legally already have access to their health mm -hmm. records under HIPAA, but most people weren't used to and still aren't really used to exercising that right. But once you digitize that data, it suddenly becomes potentially much more useful. But you've got this going on on the clinical side. At the same time, if you look at what's happening in the just in the broader landscape, people are adopting technologies for everyday use um, at an incredibly high rate. You know, we've gone from virtually no smartphones to now more than half of the population using them. Yep. And a quarter of the population is using wearables. We're using all kinds of new information um, tracking devices and sensors that help us create more data, much of which is related to our health. So it seemed to me that you could put together data from different kinds of sources, the clinical data that's traditionally in an EHR and some of the other data that's coming from outside sources, including things that have to do with say environment or other things that contribute to health. And you could really create a much richer picture of what's going on in people's lives. Importantly though, that's not just a picture of what's happening around or to a person, but if that person, him or herself, has access to it and is able to interpret it and learn from it, we patients as individuals can really have a lot of agency in shaping and managing our health. And I know that that isn't necessarily of interest or appropriate for everybody, but opening up that possibility just makes so much sense. You're mm -hmm. people who care most about their, their health and their well-being. Absolutely. And in fact, I'll, I'll put in a little bit of a plug because the guests on uh, a show that's just recently aired were uh, Kate DeRoche and Liz Salmi from Open Notes, uh, who also are involved in a mission to make that health record data much more accessible to patients. So uh, <laughs> very similar kind of parallel, slightly different piece of the same puzzle that they yeah. are. Wonderful job of pushing forward. So how do you how do you go about tackling something like that from inside uh, a government organization like ONC? What, yeah. what what was this initiative like? It was kind of hard to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the understatement of the year. When I first got there, um, I signed on for a job that had the word consumer in the title, but it was to be honest, a little bit random. It was kind of a side project. And I literally had an office that I think had been a closet before. <laughs> you know, it was a little bit of a not critical mission kind of issue from OMC's perspective. And I don't fault anyone there. It just wasn't necessarily front and center on the radar. But I thought, oh my goodness, this is such an incredible opportunity I don't care if it's in a sense demo, a demotion in some way. I, I want to get in there and work on this now because there's so much potential and because this is such an important window. So I went into pretty much every meeting for about a year. And as people were discussing what providers would do, I would kind of raise my hand and say, well, what about the patient perspective? Or have you considered the patient? Or could we invite a patient? How about we put a patient on that panel? What would a patient I bet that I bet that made you really popular. Um, sometimes it didn't. A lot of times it absolutely didn't. And I think that um, change, I don't think it was really me, but it was this idea of changing cultures and threatening the status quo mm. upset a lot of people. And in, in that job, as this idea began to become more prominent and 
my work took on a little bit more attention and was given more, um, you know, it became an actual office and it was elevated to the senior leadership team. And I would sort of get called up on stage for things and it became, it garnered a lot of interest, Mm. much of which was very positive, but some people were really offended and really upset. Again, I think um, change is difficult and it wasn't necessarily that this work per se was problematic, but many people felt threatened by the idea of just changing culture in healthcare and perhaps the idea that empowering patients might disempower providers or others, or Mm. generally a fear of the unknown privacy fears, which make a lot of sense in some ways, but I think you have to think about them rationally and logically. There there was a lot of discomfort, Um, but there was also a real passionate uh, understanding of it among other folks, many of whom were outside of the government, and a lot of whom actually I met on Twitter and at conferences, and they really came from all places. Some were patients, patient advocates, some were members of industry, some worked for EHR companies or for hospitals. There was kind of a subgroup of us out there who believed that empowering people with technology in the context of their health really had legs and made sense. And um, it wasn't just a job. It was this idea of a vision that we were really passionately um, committed to. And I'm going to call for a quick break right now because you're teeing up, I think, exactly where we want to go after the break, Lygia, which is to talk about some of the ways that that work that started at the ONC eight plus years ago has now evolved. Um, So stick around. We're going to be right back with Ligia Ricciardi on the Data Point Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Spire, a full-service digital marketing agency focused on complex and highly regulated industries of healthcare, senior living, and financial services. Rapid changes in the healthcare industry are causing consumers to seek out trusted advice, demand more transparency, and access to information and content. With over 30 years of healthcare experience, Blue Spire knows how to help you reach, communicate with, and gain trust from these consumers. We help you engage with the right content at every touchpoint, from the first symptom search to appointment scheduling through care management. Visit us at bluespiremarketing.com to learn how we can help you deliver relevant, engaging content through ever-changing touchpoints that matter. Welcome back to Data Point. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Ligia Ricciardi of Carium. Ligia, when we went into the break, we were talking about the fact that you were able to sort of create this interest and this buzz around patient empowerment through access to health data and the interoperability of that health data uh, through your work at the ONC. How did things, as, as you got, as you felt that momentum building, how far were you able to take that inside ONC uh, as a part of Meaningful Use? You were there for three and a half years or so. What, what was the trajectory like for you? Yeah, I mean, I want to be fair. I don't think it was just me. I think I was um, lucky and maybe had some foresight to really understand a, a movement that is bigger than certainly me, certainly the ONC and the government. It was just kind of, for me, the writing was on the wall that like put together technology and smartphones in people's pockets and changes in society. And this was just like 
we had to move toward greater consumerization and consumer empowerment in health. But I think that what I did at ONC and what my other colleagues and I did was to help give that movement a massive shot in the arm and really put it, you know, use the bully pulpit, mm-hmm. use the Secretary of Health, the Surgeon General, like all these other ways involve a lot of major companies and healthcare systems in agreeing to participate in this, in part through something called the Blue Button Program, which was about um, encouraging easy access by by patients to their data. And uh, ONC and other parts of the government are still carrying that on and really pushing it forward well today, particularly through CMS. They're really pushing forward standards and adoption and and easier access to people people's data um, by the people themselves. So that's all exciting. It but has to be really gratifying to see that carrying on. It's really exciting. And again, it's something that's so much bigger than, than me or than ONC or than the federal government. But this movement has absolutely taken off. And I think that it's, although it was kind of prodded and catalyzed in some way by policies, including meaningful use, one of the important things about it, um, so so what we did through Meaningful Use was we really required that patients be able to get access to their data too, not just healthcare providers who are exchanging it. So we really mm-hmm. focused on that piece. Um, and it makes sense, I think, in a natural evolution of things for sort of the next step in moving all these, all these things forward is for the private sector to build tools and services that take advantage of these new data sources and that put them in the hands of people and their providers to really change how healthcare is is delivered and how people um, engage with their health. Absolutely. And so, as you were leaving, what was your what did you see sort of as your mission uh, coming out of ONC and and Blue Button and back into the private sector? I spent a couple of years consulting, as I had done prior to being in ONC and really working with a whole lot of different healthcare-related entities and helping them push forward this idea of consumer engagement. And it was gratifying and exciting to see that there were companies and entities of a variety of different types from different sort of sub-industries within healthcare who were all trying to figure out how to do this and how to, how to make it happen. And um, ultimately, rather than just advising them, I decided to go and work for one. So, uh, so I joined Carium last September, um, and I had worked as a consultant. I'd worked with a lot of startups, um, and Carium was, and still, I think, is a startup. But it's so much more sophisticated than many that I worked with. And it shared the same vision about empowering people and care being and health being really person-centric that I had. And I liked how the other people in the company shared the desire that I have to not just build something small, but to have an impact at scale. That's part of what was so appealing to me at working in the federal government, the scale and scope of potential impact. And I think- the people at Carium have the same, are infected with that same desire to do something that really changes the landscape. So you're right. There are, I don't even remember the number, but some number with a lot of zeros on the end that describes the number of health apps out there. Uh, the number of health startups is certainly, uh, it's, it's a crowded field. Tell me a little bit about Carium and what told you that 
hmm, this is actually something different? Yeah, so there are a couple things. I mean, one is the team, and then another is kind of the product and the approach. When it comes to the team, I was really impressed by the people I met, many of whom had um, the co-founders came mostly from telecommunications, and they had built several successful telecom businesses in the past. And so they were really savvy about how to design technology and how to design a business for scale and for growth. And that was a lot more appealing to me than many people who have a great idea and they're excited about it. So they want to build a startup, but they don't necessarily have the savvy experience and the the wherewithal to be able to pick up and do it because they haven't been there before. And this group has done it before and specifically in technology businesses. And they were very thoughtful from day one about, so for example, I was really impressed that when I got there, we didn't really even have a board, but every meeting that, or every month, the, the staff would get together and, and hold very formal board meetings because the intent was, we will have a board, so we need to get started now. In the same way the technology is designed to really be extensible and to grow as we go from, you know, a smaller number of patients to eventually, you know, who knows how many, but the, the point is like really designed for flexibility and growth. So mm-hmm. I guess the team itself was important. I think um, there's also something that uh, our, our chairman, a guy named Mike, Mike Catfield said that I really liked. I remember as I was interviewing, there was a lot of talk about the importance of teams And I thought, well, that's really nice. In my career, I haven't always considered teams as the most important quality in choosing where I'm working. I'm more excited about like, what kind of impact can I have and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And of course, you want to work with people who are nice. Sure, that'd be nice. And maybe I'm at a point in my career where I just can't deal with a lot of drama in the workplace. So all that's appealing. (laughs) He said, and I think this is right. What sets really successful companies apart from others is not necessarily that they have a great idea, although that's almost, that's just the basic bar. But they have a team that is passionate and committed and capable of carrying through on that idea, really implementing it. And that makes a lot of sense because building a company or making any kind of change is a lot of hard work. And if you're not very skillful, first of all, but really passionately engaged in your mission. You just don't have what it takes to get there. The team impressed me. Um, But the other thing that I was going to say about scale and approach is the product, which is basically, you know, we describe ourselves as a healthcare transformation company because it's just about software, which I think we were thinking initially, we'll build this software thing and we'll give it to people and it'll help change healthcare. We realized too that a lot of what we bring is the ability to help organizations like health systems really transform themselves to providing more patient-centric care using technology. Hmm. But our our product is a platform. It's a software-based platform that for patients, uh, they interact with it in the form of an app. And it helps them pull together data from numerous sources. So here's the tie, of course, to a lot of that ONC work. Right. Pulling in, whether it's your clinical records and or all those other kinds of data 
from the various you know, wearables and other sensors in your life. So you can pull together data and information, some of which can be self-entered, things like, how are you feeling today? You can indicate how you're feeling and over time you can really track how your mood correlates with other kinds of data. It pulls together the data, but that's not enough. That's only the start. And this is why it was really exciting to me because I feel like I did all that policy work trying to get access to information. But really that's step one. Step two is now what? How can you make sense of it? How are you going to apply that information in some useful way? Mm -hmm. And um, at Carium, what we do is we connect people to a care team. So we use technology to enhance the human connections and bonds that people have to their provider, their provider organization. So if they have questions or they need reassurance, someone's there. But we also build in automated prompts and um, encouragement and reminders that are really shaped by behavior change science to meet the needs of the individual where they are. So for Mm -hmm. example, if somebody is lacking in confidence in managing their condition, we know, um, you know, from a research base that they may want more interventions. So we'll ask them, okay, is it okay if we send you a few more messages and kind of help you with XYZ? And of course, if they say yes, we can do that. And we can do that in a way that really works for them. Is that a kind of uh, readiness for change, motivational interviewing kind of uh, psychology applied there? Absolutely. Um, There's, I mean, we've found that people's confidence level is associated in a very simple, basic way. Like their confidence level speaks very much for the extent to which they would benefit from certain types of supports and scaffolding to make change. provide the tools, many of which are automated so that we can do that on, at scale. Um, you could, of course, think about technology just connecting people t- to a, a human you know, member of the care team. That's important, but at a certain point, it's not incredibly scalable. If you combine that with um, these programs that are developed to be able to support people even when they're not talking to a live human, and you also take advantage of things like connecting peer groups, you can have people be a lot more um, engaged and supported, I suppose, in um, pursuing healthy behaviors, even without being connected to, you know, a provider or a caregiver all the time. So let me ask you, if you don't mind, I I was curious about the connection to a care team. In in the case of, of Carium's most common use cases, is that an existing care team or is it a care team that Carium would help them connect to? Yeah. So, so far, we've had the most success in working with staff that is already part of a health system mm-hmm. or um, another kind of, you know, organization. We also work with community-based organizations who offer classes and health tips and things like that. But in the case of health systems, there's usually already some sort of a um, staff who plays this kind of role. Although part of what we do is work with the folks within the system on change management and say, okay, how can we readapt the people who are already in a role that is similar to this and help them change what they do to kind of extend their impact. Because, I mean, it is amazing that people can have access to technology, obviously, 24-7. And we find that a lot of people are, are want to interact over the weekend, mm-hmm. late at night, etc. 
um, but wait, figuring out ways within the healthcare organization to make that not terribly burdensome for the people sure. who are on um, is part of the challenge, but it certainly um, can be incredibly rewarding and yield positive results. For example, we know that people have avoided you know, emergency department visits and so on because we've been able to catch early on that there's a sign that they're in trouble and, and help you know, steer them toward a better outcome. And I, I'm curious to talk to you because I think this may be leading in, but I'm curious to talk to you about your job and specifically your title at Carium. Um, you're the chief transformation officer. Tell me about that. Why a chief transformation officer for a you know a platform uh, like Carium? So it's not so much that I'm transforming the platform as that I think that in a lot of my roles in my past, I have helped others to transform how they think. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I do in this role is work with partners or potential partners. And much as I did at ONC, ask questions. Well, what about the patient? How can we integrate the patient further? How could we do Mm -hmm. things differently? How could we help you leverage your existing strengths as a healthcare system and move toward value-based care, those kinds of things. So it's, yep. I, I do also a fair amount of, so I work with customers and potential customers, but I also do a lot of the, I guess you'd call it thought leadership things that I mm-hmm. started doing it, maybe even before the ONC. I really have always enjoyed blogging and public speaking and being on Twitter to exchange ideas and to keep thinking about big trends and where we're headed as a society. So that's part of it. I mean, I still engage in those kinds of conversations and it's really fun to be able to do that from the context of, um, in this case, working on a, you know, having experience building and implementing a product. You know, I think it's so telling, Ligia, you talked earlier about the fact that when you, you know, when you started asking the, what about the patient question at ONC, there were some people that weren't so excited about that. And I think for a company like Carium to recognize that in order to be really, really effective in maximizing the value of the Carium platform, there's some work that has to happen inside the organization. They're they're making change. And to be able to have somebody like you there that is a strategic thinker who has been through this kind of real sea change transition uh, before must be enormously valuable in terms of helping to, you know, I guess, till the soil uh, where those carrium seeds are going to be planted. Yeah, thanks. I think a lot of the organizations that we're working with, I mean, as, as a country and even on a global scale, I think we're all trying to understand how can we incorporate existing and emerging technologies in ways that enhance and improve care and that many of us are really excited about this patient engagement idea, but we don't know how to do it. It's still the unknown. Mm-hmm. Many of us have an idea of what we might like it to look like, but we're we're still figuring it out. And at Carium, we're able to figure it out on the nuts and bolts level with our partners. Like, what if we try this? What if we try that? Whereas at the policy level, often it was more, it was like 40,000 feet, whereas working at a startup, you know, you're kind of there (laughs) on the ground with people. So that's 
one of the differences, but you absolutely have to keep stepping back to that bigger picture and being aware of changes in the industry, changes in technology, changes in policy, because all those things matter in healthcare. Healthcare is really complicated. Absolutely. Well, if you can believe it, we've burned through almost a half an hour in this conversation. It seems like about three minutes. But Ligia, I just I want to thank you so much for being willing to share some of your background and perspective with us. I'm going to provide in our show notes uh, a link not only to Carium's website, which is C-A-R-I-U-M.com, um, but I'm also going to provide links to you so that if people want to connect with you, they can do that via LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, I just I really want to thank you for being here and we're going to be watching with interest. Thank you so much, Greg. It's been great speaking with you. Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.